Matthew 22, and we're going to look at more encouragement here to love our neighbor. Encouragement to love our neighbors. What we'll look at, we did two messages on loving the greatest commandment, which is love God. And uh, this, is our second com- this is our second message on the second greatest commandment that Jesus taught, and that is to love our neighbor. And it's echoed in the New Testament, and it's drawn from the Old Testament. And so, as I said at the beginning of last week's message, I say now, whatever Jesus makes a big deal of, we should make a big deal of. Um, And we tend to make a big deal of things of our own personal interest, but if we're a Christian, we want to make a big deal of whatever our Savior makes a big deal of, and this is one of them. So let's read Matthew 22, the passage again. We've read it several times. Let's read it again, and Jesus is being questioned by different people. In verse 35, Matthew 22, verse 35 to 40, uh, Jesus answers the question about what is a great commandment in the law, and he tells that there's a first and second. Notice there, Matthew 22, verse 35, and we'll just, I'll read along. It says, Then one of them, among the crowd there, uh, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. My father-in-law, I remember him a couple times telling this story of... um, about a man who, uh, when it comes to the subject of love, about the, a man, his name was Ted Dencher. I always remember him telling it because I kind of a name you can't forget, you know. And this man was a follower of the Watchtower Society, so-called Jehovah's Witness. And he, uh, kind of a smart, intellectual type of a guy. And he, uh, but he met this man, met uh, a couple of Christian ladies, o- older Christian ladies that, uh, love the Lord or genuinely saved and believed on the, the Messiah of the Bible, whereas the gospel, the so-called gospel of the Watchtower Society uh, thinks Jesus is basically Michael the Archangel and, and he, that he didn't rise physically and that he died on a stake yep, and that he's not been eternal with God. They laugh and mock at the idea of a triune God. So it's a whole different gospel. It's a whole different Jesus. It's a, it's a, it's a mangled up translation that they use, uh, the New World Translation. So anyways, but this guy, Ted Dencher, father-in-law always told the story. He uh, was a very intellectual type um, Jehovah's Witness follower. He met two Christian ladies who witnessed to him. They're very kind, uh, very sincere, and he would... He would run circles around him in his discussion. You know, well, what about the Trinity? Don't you know that's a pagan idea? And what's this? How could Jesus be God? And, and all this. And try to do all these kind of you know, accusations of Christianity, saying Christianity and the, the, current, the current that you're following, these Christians, has uh, been paganized and it's not true. And, and um, only 144,000 go to heaven and so on. And he would run little circles around them, and they couldn't quite argue as well as he did. But they would say, you know, Ted, and well, we just want you to know that you need to accept the Jesus as the Bible as your Savior and only believe on Him. You can't do any good works to be good enough for God. You just humble yourself and accept Jesus as your Savior to compensate for all your sins. Your good works aren't going to compensate. 
And they say, we love you, Ted. We're praying for you. You know, and he would meet these ladies a couple times. He met them a couple times, and they couldn't argue as well as he could. But they showed, they gave him the gospel, and they showed love, and they said, we're praying for him. And uh, some things happened in this guy's life. I think he realized that knocking doors and trying to be good and doing all the regiment of the, per, the recipe that the Watchtower Society lays out for you. Of, you need to study and you need to do the good works and then the baptism, whatever. There's a whole recipe of do all this and you might make it to the new yeah. kingdom. He realized, I can't be good enough. <laughs> uh, you know, and he realized then it made him really consider that and considering the message of these ladies and, and on top of all of it, what really turned him from a human standpoint was their love. And he ended, up, he ended up accepting Christ as a Savior and realizing this is a false gospel that I'm, being, that I'm reading in the New World Translation and from the Jehovah's Witness Kingdom Hall. It's a false gospel. This is the gospel here in the Bible. This is what these ladies are telling me was what true. But what he ended up saying in his testimony when he'd tell other people about him turning from the false message of Jehovah's Witness to the true message of the gospel in the Bible, and these ladies witnessing, he'd say, you know, I could get over their arguments, but I couldn't get over their love. That's what he'd say. You know, you know Jesus said love is a great thing. Caring about somebody is great. The greatest thing is to love God. The second greatest thing is to love man. They both have love in common. To have a benevolence to show care in as many ways as you can is great with God. Uh, they, they, you have common common phrase in some of our Christian circles is that people don't care how much you know. They want to know how much you care. It, the idea is that love is a big thing. And um, if somebody's smarter than you, okay. But if somebody's very, lo- if somebody's very loving, that kind of, that gives more weight to your appreciation of them often. I, ask, I want to ask three questions in our time together here about this passage, about the second greatest command. The first thing is, what is Jesus, again, what is Jesus saying here? The second question is, what are we really doing? And the third question is, how can I love my neighbor? Those are the three questions we're going to ask and answer today. What is Jesus really saying, but what are we doing, and how can I really love my neighbor? And there's dozens and dozens of ways to answer that last uh, question, but I just contained it to about eight points. What is Jesus saying here? We just read this. What is he saying? He's saying, again, he brings out love, to care about somebody. It takes energy to, to care, doesn't it? takes a lot of energy, but we need to exert that energy. Love means to, here means to show care, show benevolence, to be a help, to be a, assist somebody. And do it in a way where it shows a durability on your part, that it's not fizzle. It doesn't fizzle out easy. You know, there's some people I don't mind helping as long as they don't give me a hard time, okay? Don't give me any problems or I'm going to stop helping you right quick. Well, that's not real love. That's a, that's a shallow kind of a deal you know, you're good to me, I'll good to you. That's a very shallow type of a love. The word Jesus uses is a durable, it's a durable form of 
care, a durable, godlike benevolence. That's what this means. Love here means a durable, godlike benevolence towards somebody else. So Jesus says love, but then he doesn't, this is, look what he says there. They ask, what's a, what's a great command? Love God. And Jesus says, here's a bonus. You didn't ask for this, but the second great is to love your neighbor. But notice what he says. It's, it's profound, but it's worth considering. Verse 39, thou second is like unto thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Now, the fact that Jesus said, thou shalt love, we can be like, yeah, that sounds good. But then he says, he doesn't, well, let's hear what, think what he doesn't say. Jesus says, doesn't say, thou shalt love your favorite people, all your faves. He doesn't say, thou shalt love your friends. Thou shalt love, you know, the, post, the person that you uh, like, you know, the person that you most admire. He said, thou shalt love thy neighbor. He doesn't say, neither does Jesus say this. Oh, the greatest command is love God. And the second greatest command is just love people. Just kind of like a general, generic, just, just be nice to people, just in a generic way. If he did say be nice to people, we could still grow from that because it's the, it would have been the words of Jesus Christ. But let's think about what Jesus literally said. He said, you, thou, that's a singular, you love your, not everybody else's neighbor, but thy neighbor. He made it very personal. Jesus is making the biggest, the second biggest command in the Bible, very personal, not very general. Very, so what does it mean, love thy neighbor? Neighbor, uh, not just your faves, not just generic people, but neighbor means some, the one that's near you now. Right now you have a neighbor in church. When you get in your car and you start driving and somebody pulls next to you, you got a neighbor momentarily right next to you. That's your neighbor now. You don't, might not like their car. You might not like their music. You might not like how they cut you off, but they're your neighbor. When you park and you get in your car and you walk up your driveway and you see your, the other address next to you, that's your neighbor because they're near you now. When you go in your house and you sit at your kitchen table and one of your kids or your spouse or somebody else sits next to you, that's your neighbor right now. When you go to work tomorrow and you go to your office and you open the door and you go and sit down, there's somebody across from you, that's your neighbor right now. The person near you, Jesus defines as your neighbor according to Luke 10 when he taught the message of the Good Samaritan. Whatever you come upon, a person you come near to that needs help in particular, that you know you love them, but the person near you is your neighbor. It does, neighbor here does, is not contained to addresses on certain streets. It's, it means the person that's in proximity to you. House, family, church, work, school, traffic. But then Jesus says, what is Jesus saying? He's saying love. He's making it personal. Thy neighbor. Don't, you don't have to worry about my neighbor's and I don't necessarily, in an intense way, have to worry about your neighbors. He's saying, take care of the people that are near you. So in essence, Jesus is saying, wherever you go, it ought to be good for other, everybody else around you. Think about that. Wherever I go, this is, a, this is the expectation that Jesus Christ is putting on me, on you as Christians, that wherever I reside for any moment of time, it ought to be benefiting the people that reside around me. That's what he's saying. And that necessitates putting off a self-centered life, putting off a self-centered attitude. All right, so what is Jesus saying? Love? He says, love thy neighbor. He says, love them as yourself, as thyself. Look what it says. 
Like, in other words, here's your neighbor over here. Here's the person sitting next to you. Here's the person in traffic. Just think. Pretend you're that person and say, how would I want this guy to be treating me right now? All right? Um, pretend that you live, if your address is 2301 and your neighbor to the, to the left of you is 2303, you think, what does my neighbor need? Pretend you live in that house and look back over at your house and say, what would I want from this guy in my life? And then go back over to your house and do that to them. Per, just, per, just, we need to perceive what another person would need, what we would want if we were that other person, and do that. It's kind of a funny little incident. Two guys, they're friends. They went, to, uh, they went out to lunch together, sat down at a restaurant, and they both ordered fish. And uh, they sat down there, and they're talking and stuff, and they're buddies and everything. And, and uh, they, brought, both, they brought the fish. Each of them got a dish of food. And, and right when they brought the fish, the, 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 the one guy, they put, the, the waiter put two plates down. And the one friend took the plate that he, he noticed one of the fish was actually a little bigger, even though they ordered the same. It's kind of different. You know, you're not supposed to. He's like, he noticed the fish was a little bigger, so he grabbed that plate and pulled it toward him, the one guy. And the other friend took his plate. And the other friend, when he took his plate, he said back to his friend, he said, hey, man, I saw that. He said, look at you. You're taking the bigger fish. You know, Jesus said you should love your neighbor as yourself. You should do you know, to them what you would want done to you. And he has the big fish there. And he goes, yeah, so what would you do? And he says, well, I would, I would have given you the big one. He goes, well, you got what you wanted. <laughs> so some of you are trying to figure that out still. So anyways, that was kind of funny. You know, but that's what Jesus said. Do to them what you would want done to you is what he's saying. And then he says, what is Jesus saying? Love, love thy neighbor as thyself. And then he says it's the second greatest command. It's a big thing. And all the law and prophets hang on one of those two things. I read, I haven't confirmed this, but there was a famous atheist, and I was trying to confirm if it was true. That's why I'm not going to say their name. I was trying to do research, and I ran out. They said they found the diary of one famous atheist some years ago, and they were fumbling through it and had all kinds of stuff in there. But one of the things this atheist said in their diary, which they don't know if they knew anybody was going to catch their diary, it said, somebody, somewhere, please love me. Well, Jesus said, all right, let's make that a focus. Number two, the second question is, what does my life say? Okay, so we heard what Jesus says. What does my life say? What, is, what am I doing? All right, we heard very clearly, yes, Jesus, the second biggest command, love thy neighbors thyself. Well, what am I doing? What am I doing in, the neighbor, in my neighborhood? What am I doing in my, the people that are in my house that sit next to me, that are in the next room to me? What kind of neighbor am I to my family? What kind of neighbor am I to my fellow church members? Sometimes we just tend to ignore people. Here's, here's some common, I'm going to see here, one, two, three, four, five. Here's about five common responses that our life says, and there could be more, that we commonly, our life commonly says in regards to this command. My life is saying I ignore them. Do you know the name? Let's talk about your physical neighbors in your neighborhood. Do you know any of, don't answer me out loud, but do you know their name? How long have you lived there? 
All right, we need to, uh, one of the common responses, I don't even know, I, make, I don't care, I just let me get my life, I'm pulling up, I'm opening up my garage, I'm pulling in, I'm closing my garage, leave me alone, I'm going to go take my shower, flip on my TV and do my thing, and I don't care, what the, the, what, I don't care about the other person. I'm not saying you should go over and just start over, be overbearing and, or being a nosy person, but <clears throat> has it come across your mind to say, do I even know my neighbor's names? Sometimes we tend to just ignore people around us. How about, how about just even in a workplace or in a group of friends or at home? Sometimes we just tend to ignore people and not notice. Um, one of the things about our social distancing in this last year is, is that. It's like we just have to stay apart. And for some people, they were glad that was a law. Like, man, I've been wanting somebody to put a law to this because I can't stand people. Well, okay. Well, Jesus says we have to find ways to connect. Um, we tend to ignore people near us. You know what's interesting is I found by experience, and we were talking about God's Word on social media on Wednesday nights, and I found by experience that we can be connected with the entire world and have all these different friends, but not even know anything to, about the person next to us. The neighbor, the coworker, or whatever, or even a family member, or a person in, in church. We might know more about somebody all across the country and be hyper-connected with them and saw what they had on their birthday and, and said a nice text and post and pin and, and, but not know anything about the person that lives next to us. Well, that can, my life needs to say something better than that. I need to know and I need to care. What else might my life say? What is it, as it relates to my neighbor, God, Jesus says to love them. Sometimes we're ignorant of them. I know how that is. Um, sometimes we complain about our neighbor. And I told you that, remember we talked about this last Sunday morning. You know what? <clears throat> um, we we uh, peer through the blinds. What are they doing? How come they always have all that stuff? Why do they need another car? <laughs> you, know, you know, we get like that. My wife and I were counting our neighbor's cars. We're like, they got a lot of cars here. <laughs> we're both like, hey. Actually, one of my neighbors, I was teasing him because he's got a teenage son. I know the dad, I think the dad was trying to sell one of his trucks. But he had, he had like two trucks. And, 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 and we, I love my neighbors. I'm doing my best to, to apply this message. But I, I went by him. I saw the teenager cleaning out his dad's truck. And it was the extra one he's trying to sell. I'm like, hey, man, what's the deal? Why don't your dad just give that to you? He goes, yeah, I've been asking him to. Because he's got this other truck, this big black truck. It's mean looking for it. looks good. He's trying to sell his Chevy. But, uh, you know, sometimes we're like, how come they, why don't they cut their grass? Why don't you go cut their grass for them? You know? Actually, we thought about doing that the other day. My wife and I were talking about this. One of my neighbors had tall grass. And, uh, and we've done it before. We've just cut the grass without asking. But this case, my wife's like, don't do it. Because they have this landscaper that comes, and the lady's hardly there. And uh, my wife's like, don't do it, because what's going to happen is you're going to cut the grass. The landscaper's going to show up and be like, cool, it's already done. And they're still going to charge her for it. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so, but you know, what I'm saying is sometimes we get critical of our neighbors. 
But then when you pull out and you see them, like, hey, how's it going? <laughs> you fake hypocrite. No, if you have a real problem with your neighbor, the Bible says in Leviticus, I don't have the reference, it says rebuke them. Go talk one-on-one to your neighbor if you've got an issue. You know, their dog keeps going in your yard. Just go tell them. Don't steam inside about it. Go tell them. Thou shalt in any wise rebuke thy neighbor, it says in Leviticus. Just deal with them one-on-one. Be up front. Or shut your mouth and quit complaining. But we tend to just, what do we tend to do? Ignore or complain. My mom is funny. Um, We had neighbors across the street, Kelly and Claudia Clark. What a name there. And uh, they're good neighbors. They were there before us. And uh, Kelly was actually did exterminating. He actually would do our house sometimes, spray it. And mom, Kelly would groom his tree. I remember years ago, he'd groom, he had like this olive tree and he'd trim it up. And uh, my mom would be like, hey, Kelly, you forgot, a, you know how when you trim a tree, it's like you can see a spot they missed. My mom would be like, hey, Kelly, you missed a spot up there. And he'd be like, oh, okay, Lane, he'd go and he'd trim it up. Well, then like six months later when he has to trim it again, he trimmed the whole thing. He purposely left this thing at the top like alfalfa, you know, at the very top of this tree. And my mom's like, you guys, he goes, I know I did that for you. I left that up just to irritate you, you know. (laughs) He said that to mom. That was funny. But, you know, there's some good hearty uh, interaction there that we've had with them. Uh, But sometimes we can complain or we can, okay, you say, Pastor, I love my neighbor. I love him. I love the guy at work. I don't love the other guy. I love the, the neighbor here, but I don't love this one. You probably love the lovely. And we, we, Jesus talked about, <clears throat> um, if you love them which love you, what reward have ye? We, we should love those that are our neighbor, regardless if they're lovable people, regardless if they show appreciation. Sometimes we love those who show appreciation. Oh, they showed appreciation, so I'm going to keep loving them because I'm getting a reward back by their appreciation. Sometimes we're like that. Or this is what I found is a big one, and I think this is probably one of our biggest sins, and it sounds pretty how I say it, but it's not. Sometimes we love those who are like us. You're kind of like me. I like you. You're kind of like, you like the things I like. You do the things I like to do. You sound how I like to sound. You have my tastes, my interests. I like you. Well, what that is a fancy way of saying is I'm... I'm partial. I have respect of persons. If persons that's not like me or not my type, then I'm going to treat them differently uh, from the standpoint of love. Now, people do need to be treated differently from the standpoint of how you approach them. But as far as loving people and caring, it, we could run to this passage in James 1, pardon me, James 2, verses 1 to 9. Jesus, the, the, the Lord, rewards about respect of persons. Do you understand what that is? People that, he says it in the context of the church. Somebody comes in the church, whoa, look at that guy, man, sharp looking guy. Hey, come on over here, have the best seat. Mm-hmm. James says, don't be doing that. And then another guy comes in, he's got raggedy clothes and be like, hey, just sit over there. You can maybe sit on that footstool over there. James says, don't be doing that. You're having respect of persons. You're respecting the, the guy with the fancy clothing and dissing the, the, the poor guy. And uh, the Lord says in James chapter 2, to don't show impartiality for a couple of reasons. Well, one, because God's no respect of persons. Um, God is no respect of persons. That is, he, he's not going to be like, oh, I, I really like uh, tall, handsome people. 
and I don't like short, ugly people. You know, God's not like that. He, he, he respects faith. And the other problem with that is that we violate the royal law, which is love thy neighbor as thyself. What if you were uh, a person coming to church for the first time, and you're coming in a new place, and you're not used to church culture, churchy things, churchy sounds, a church service. There's nothing wrong with having that stuff. And you go in and you're like, man, I'm not used to all this. Wouldn't you kind of want somebody to kind of say, hey, man, how's it going? Or, hey, and meet some, be kind of a lady or a man or a boy or a girl. And just kind of, warm, wouldn't you want somebody to warm up to you a little bit? Wouldn't you want that? Now, you need to imagine that a little bit so you can put yourself in that. See, we're so, most of us in here are used to, we're used to coming in church. We know this place and stuff. Imagine that you're not used to that. And somebody comes in, and they're not used to, they're not even used to maybe a building this small or not used to just, some people are very, un, their, their life is very uh, not formal, not, not uh, structured. And we try to have some formality and structure because we should do all things decently in order here. So like, what, am I doing anything wrong? When you, somebody, somebody comes up to a visitor and just kind of warms up to them, not overbearing, not gushing, but just uh, show some friendliness and some love, that helps. That helps fulfill the royal law to love your neighbors yourself. Um, what does my life say? Now, here's the, here's the last question. This is where we kind of put our feet uh, to the ground and apply this. How can I love my neighbor? How can I? Again, we're all just, we're all just we're springing from these plain words here. How can I love my neighbor? And here's a dozen things we could have said, but I have thing, eight things on my notes. Number one, we should start at home. Pastor, I really like this message, the second greatest command. I want to love my neighbor. Okay, start whoever you're living with right now. Be, this is the, the, where everything is proven. I've said it to you before. The home is a proving ground for everything. It's the proving ground. My dad worked for 24 years at General Motors Desert Proving Grounds in East Mesa. It's closed down now. And before they got things out into the public market, before they put millions of dollars into a, a couple of uh, lines of cars, they put, them over, they put a couple of concept vehicles, a couple, just a, a run of maybe a 100 of a certain type of a car. They sent them over here. There's different testing facilities, but they sent them to the desert hot weather testing facility in East Mesa. And they would test it in the heat, they'd test the engine, they'd test the dashes, they'd test the, the quality of the plastic and the, the uh, all kinds, they would test it, they'd test how it handled, they, have a, they had a big uh, oval track, they had a straightaway, they, had all, they did all kinds of testing to see it prove itself in this contained facility over here. And when it passed the test, like, okay, now it's ready for the public market. Now we'll put, you know, uh, uh, Put all the now get the get the assembly line going. This one's good, but make this adjustment, make that adjustment. And for us, our Christianity needs to be lived out everywhere. But the proving ground is right in our home, right now in your marriage. Your first your first neighbor husband is your wife. Your first neighbor wife is your husband. And kids, your neighbors are your siblings and your parents, and so on. We have to practice being good neighbors. But don't stay there. Don't just say, well, that's all I do is love my family and become very introverted, self-centered. That's how some people can get too. 
We just care for our family. We just love our family. Well, no, that's good. It goes beyond that, though, too. But you should start there, but don't end there. Number two, consider all those near you. Consider, here's what I'll say, number two. Consider yourself in debt to everyone who, who comes near you. Think about that. I'm not making that up. This has helped me. Consider yourself in debt to anybody who is near you. Now, not me seeing financial debt. I mean what we read last week. Look in Romans 13, 8. Romans 13, 8. Paul said, or yeah, he did say, Paul, uh, here in Romans, Owe no man anything but to love another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. Notice he says, don't be, you know, where you owe and I have an obligated to these men, I'm obligated to people. Accept, but means accept. Here's, a, here's an owe, here's a debt you need to have. No, no man anything except, but to love. Always, we're always in debt to love the person near you. Isn't that, isn't that what he's saying? I always owe somebody near me love. I don't, it's nice if I don't owe any any money. That's great. But if you consider yourself always in debt to those who are near you, the debt of love, that'll keep you leaning into this this effort of of caring for people. I like some of you have heard this. I'm going to read it verbatim. Dwight Moody became a famous evangelist in the uh, seven, 1800s, and he did a, so much. Um, what, I didn't think he finished high school, never went to college. He was never even officially ordained. He just became a preacher. He loved people and, and, and preached the gospel, preached the gospel during some of the Civil War, many, both sides, uh, Union uh, and uh, Confederate, and pe- many people were saved. He was involved in the, um, what is it, the, um, not the Boys and Girls Club, but the YMCA, what became the YMCA, and a lot of different things. Moody Bible Institute started, Moody Publishers today. He was just an evangelist, but he was reached by a very loving, and I forgot his name, uh, Sunday school teacher. And listen to what he said about his Sunday school teacher caring for him. And his Sunday school teacher acted as if he had a debt to him. D.L. Moody would show up to the Sunday school class and teach his class, and when the students left, the, the, the Sunday school teacher still felt like he had a debt to some of his students, especially Dwight Moody. And he went and found out he worked at a shoe store and he went and f- sought him out and uh, went behind the counter, or, or he went behind, uh, yeah, went behind the counter. He's like, is, is Dwight here? Uh, yes. And he went behind and found him. And, and it, it, on, the, on the side of his Sunday school teacher, it's recorded that he he went and talked to him, put his hand on him, said some things to him at work, probably on a break, but at work, and just said, hey, I'm concerned about you and about you genuinely, sincerely becoming a Christian and, you're, and uh, putting your faith in Christ. And whatever it was, his Sunday school teacher made his appeal to his student, Dwight Moody, and said whatever else and went his way. And in hindsight, that Sunday school teacher said, I really felt like I made a weak appeal. For the Lord, I felt like that. I just fumbled through that thing. But here's what D.L. Moody said. He said, when I was in Boston, I used to attend a Sunday school class. And one day, I recollect my teacher came around behind the counter of the shop I was 
at work in. And he put his hand on my shoulder and talked to me about Christ in my soul. I had not felt like, I had not felt that I even had a soul till then. I said to myself, this is a very strange thing. Here is a man who never saw me till lately, and now he's weeping over my sins, and I have never even shed a tear about them. But I understand it now, and I know what it means to have a passion for men's souls and to weep over their, weep over their sins. I don't remember what he even said, but I can still feel the power of that man's hand on my shoulder tonight, as he, he said that in the middle of a message. And that, was, that man was instrumental in helping him become, make a genuine decision for Christ. What is it? He felt he had a debt for him. And that's how uh, we should be, you know, think about as if everyone around you is, I owe kindness, I owe love to the people around me. Number three, refuse to play favorites. I made reference to it. I'm not going to run over there and read it all, but James 1, James 2 verses 1 to 9 talks about playing favorites, respective persons. Refuse to play favorites. Again, we tend to love the lovable, like the likable, people that are like me. You know what was good for me? Watch this. You know what was really good for me? By the way, today, was it 321? It's Down Syndrome. What's it called? What is it? World Down Syndrome Day. Yay! Our charity has Down Syndrome. She's cute. And we call her T21. T21. See, Down Syndrome is that you have all your, of all your chromosomes, you have two of each, but the 21st chromosome, if it's tripled, hey, you got Down Syndrome. So they say in the medical field, trisomy, trisomy 21. Oh, she had, when we were in the hospital, we had, we had charity. We're like, oh, we think she has Down syndrome. And, and the nurses were coming like, trisomy 21. And you know, they'd say, I'm like, T, trisomy. So I call her T21. She's T21, you know. But she's a sweetheart. But so it's, I guess, Down syndrome, World Down Syndrome Day. So when I was in sixth grade, this was good for me, okay? When I was in sixth grade at Irving Elementary School in Mesa, we had the special ed class. I wasn't in it. I was helping it. Okay. All right. So we had the special ed class. And I remember this was good. Lynn Heinz, I'm like, this is really good. They would have, for I don't know how many kids did this, but they would make that the sixth, there's four sixth grade class. I don't know what the other classes did, but I know our class with our teacher, Mrs. Clower. We had to help like once a week or once every other week for an hour in the special ed class. And so I had my time, it was, let's just say, let's say twice a month. I had my time for one hour, twice a month. I'd get excused from my sixth grade class. I'd walk you know, around the corner, around another pod, over into a trailer that they had. They had extra classrooms. And I'd go up in that trailer, and I'd go into the special ed class. And when I went into the special ed class, it was like, it was different. Now I'm telling you, as a sixth grader, I'm like, I'm scared of these people. Yeah. I was like, well, well. And, but, but it was good. They had a teacher in there. They, I think they had another assistant, and I was another assistant. And they had the kids at the table. And, you know, not a lot was getting done. Not a lot was getting done, but they, there was some things done. And, and there was this kid over here. He drooled a lot, you know, on his thing. And this kid was, I'm not sure he knew where he was. And this guy, this guy, man, he looks buff and thick. He looks like he should be playing football. He's a Down syndrome kid right there. Man, you look pretty good, man. I don't want to get you mad. You know, and then another kid over here, another one in a wheelchair. And I had to just go and help, you know. I didn't want to get near the kid that drooled. I really didn't. I'm like, he's drooling. That's gross. You know, but I had to help him. Hey, you help him. You help him color this thing. 
whatever. And the kid's probably my age or older, you know, but he's got a, a mental retardation, somebody's got Down syndrome, somebody's got something else, somebody's got some. And they made us help, as I said a couple times, a month for an hour, and, that, and I thought that was good for me to kind of break the ice and get me out of my comfort zone of my cool, I'm cool, I'm a cool sixth grader. You know, sixth grade was the highest class at Irving. We were the top until we went to the Taylor Junior High. And, and so, and so, but I, so I had to humble myself by helping these, these guys. And, and, um, and then all of a sudden, they'd scare me. Somebody, go, somebody get all loud, yell, I'm like, what's he, what happened? You know, what did he do? And they oh, he's fine. He's just, you know, he said he likes you or something, you know, or somebody's hungry. But, but it was good for me to do that, to learn, you know, everybody needs somebody to care for them. And I needed to learn to love somebody that's unlike me. And that's what we need. That's how you, because you're going to find people that are unlike you all the time. Number three, refuse, refuse to play favorites. Number four, talk to people. Uh, talk to somebody. Now, this is a day and age more than ever because we have our phones. And I, I, my phone's like my office. I'm walking around with my office all the time. I can do work anywhere, anything. But I have to realize sometimes when I'm in public, I need to just put it down and be, like, be willing to connect with somebody else in the, in the DMV or whatever, or in the office, if they'll put theirs down, you know. But that keeps us from talking. I mean, you can sit next to somebody for an hour and never say a thing to them, ride in an airplane and never say one word to somebody that's been next to you. And, but, I, but I need to. I need to learn to connect. My kids asked me the other day, Dad, what is a monk? What is a monk? And I was like, you know, a monk is somebody who, usually it's Catholic, some Buddhist, but it's usually somebody that's just totally, fully... Uh, dedicated to some of the things of that religion, and they, they separate themselves, they isolate themselves, they change their diet, they change their dress, they change their regiment, and they totally cut themselves off from normal society to do, I have no idea what, guys. But they cut themselves off. And then I said, that's never what God intended for Christians to do. We are to be separate. We are to be different. We are to be different in our values, in our look, in our, in our behavior. But we, we, Jesus never intended we to be completely isolated and live out in the desert somewhere. I'm talking on months and weeks and years on end. Live sec, sec, so secluded so that we can't even apply the second great command. So talking to people helps break that ice. Number five... Loving people, loving my neighbor, I need to remember people's names and use it. You know, when somebody says your name, you might not realize it, but it can be a dull. I mean, unless it's, you know, you're a kid and you're in trouble and it's your mom. Nathan, Nathaniel, James, Johnson. Then you'd be like, oh, I'm in trouble. But other than that, if somebody says your name, it's nice. You know, somebody calls out your name. Most people like, hey, they said my name. When we remember people's names and just say it, I've been having to tell, one of my boys calls me bro. I'm not bro. It's bro. But he says, you are bro in the Lord, but that's not what you mean. <laughs> but anyways, now, uh, but you know, sometimes we call people names that are funny, but when you say somebody's name, you remember their name and say it, that shows that you care. Um, pray for uh, your neighbor. Pray for the people around you. I have a list of my neighbors and I try to pray for them. And of course, the people that I know that are my own family or the, if I, the people that I had worked with and when I was at another workplace, I prayed for them. 
Pray for them. That's number six. Number seven, do a helpful thing. That's how you can love your neighbor. Do something helpful. Luke 10, when Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan, it was showing that a neighbor is somebody who cares for someone who's unlike them, but does something that's helpful and caring for them. That's what Luke 10 teaches. Um, number eight, bear with your neighbor's weaknesses. You know, I need to, People around me may not be as strong as me, may not be as... Um, have the same tolerances that I have. And I need to bear with other people's weaknesses. Did you know the Bible teaches that in Romans 15? Look at Romans 15. Romans 15, we'll read verses 1 to 3. Romans 15, verses 1 to 3. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. For even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. I remember we had a neighbor. I had a, where I lived, I had a friend, I, my friend Crispin. He, he was kind of to the side of us. He had a neighbor. And I can't remember this neighbor's name, but we used to play football in my friend's yard, Crispin's yard. We'd play football and stuff. And man, if the football went over in his, in his neighbor's yard, whoa, bad news. It was a pretty decent yard, normal-looking house. That football went over there. We'd go grab the football, and that neighbor would come out and say, Get out of my yard! I don't know if he had an Italian. I don't know what kind of accent. He said, Get out of my yard! Get out of my yard! I'm like, dude, get out of his yard. You know, we get out of his, pick up the football. Like, we don't want to let that football get over. He'd get it so grumpy. And so, because otherwise we'd be like, hey man, we're throwing people's yard. We'd play, you know, eh, kind of like neighbors, like, hey, we share. Make an extra large football field, combined yards, you know, it's okay, but not him. So we're like, all right, all right, cool, all right, you know. And, uh, you know, some people get like that. You might have somebody that's a little extra fussy. Like, okay, cool, I'm still going to love you, you know. I feel sorry for you. Look like you had lemon juice for breakfast and pickle juice for lunch and, you know, and ate whatever, but I, I'll still try to love you. We need to bear with people's weaknesses. I, my father, I've told you this before. My father-in-law, when he was a pastor here, we used to meet in a really small assembly place. It was actually part of another house. And they had this weird-looking wallpaper. actually kind of had a nice, elegant design to it. But one of the ladies one time came up after she attended the church for a while. She came up to the pastor. My father said, you know, that, that just kind of hurts my eyes or something. Because it was right behind him. And she goes, I don't know what it is. It kind of hurts my eyes. And it was a nice, it kind of had a felt didn't it have a felt feel to it? Remember that? It's almost like, hey, that's expensive stuff, you know. Well, he ended up taken down and painted. And you're like, okay, you know. He wasn't going to be like, hey, lady, this is my stuff. This is the stuff I like. He didn't do that. He just took it down. I remember we've had people before. See, I'm going to tell these things, and now some of you are going to come up to me. And, Pastor, I got something I got to tell you. Uh, you're giving me a headache. If you preach for five minutes less, then... All right, well, anyways, there's one lady, she, there were certain candles we'd burn, it'd give her a headache, and so we're like, all right, and what I mean burn is like, so occasionally there would be a candle in, a, in the kitchen or something that'd give her a headache. Other people, there were certain lights that gave people a headache, there might even be now, and uh, we helped to even out some of these lights, but we would try to bear with people's weaknesses. Listen, Jesus bears with our weaknesses right here, I mean, we're weak in, we're weak in that we've sinned, we're weak in that we wouldn't know how to get to God if we, if we could. So Jesus came down to earth, died for our sins, and he's, he came down to deal with our weaknesses. He came down to be our neighbor. He came down to, to, to do, a good, do us a great favor, right? 
The essence of becoming a Christian is putting your faith in Jesus Christ who did something for you that you couldn't do for yourself. Died for your sins, died for your crimes, was buried and rose again. And if you, if you trust Him, you call out by faith in Him to be your Savior, He will save you instantaneously. I'm very grateful for uh, people who are um, loving and good neighbors. And I'll tell it in a short, very short story, but I'm thankful for We've, I've told this before, but Mrs. Hansen that was in, in our church was, a, was reached, thought of her neighbors and cared for her neighbors and invited them to church, and that was the Cecilinis. And uh, she, years ago, some years back, you know, when they lived in, over here in Mesa off of, actually that was through their, her grandpa, but she's still connected with Amanda. Amanda was visiting her grandpa who lived next to Teresa over in Mesa by Reed Park. And uh, Teresa Hansen, I, I know she was dealing with problems in her life at the time. And I remember that she still, when it came down to having a neighborhood Bible time, she took time to talk to her very strong Catholic neighbor's granddaughter, who is Amanda. Talked to Amanda, invited Amanda and the kids, some of the boys, to church. They came to Bible time, eventually came to church, eventually got saved. And uh, God used the loving kindness of Teresa Hansen's love to the Cecilinis to see him brought to Christ. And you know what? Teresa had her own problems at the time. But she kind of set those aside and decided to reach out to somebody else. You see, something like that, sometimes I've wondered if is it better to hand out 1,000 tracts in two hours or spend 15 minutes talking to somebody that I don't know. You know, maybe I need to spend a little more time connecting with people. We'll still use tracks, but I, so this is God's challenge to us today. Love your neighbor. I've tried to give you ideas. I've tried to encourage us. This is a big deal to Jesus. Let's make it a big deal to ourselves.